Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Wrestling Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Years ago, I was on my way to lunch with a coworker. And this coworker, she was a Muslim lady, a very good friend of mine, and we were able to talk very freely about our differences in faith. She was Afghanistan background, we went to a similar school. There were a lot of similarities, but this was a time when you could talk about your differences and not be offended. You guys understand? So she was Muslim, I was Christian, we openly talked about our differences. What do you believe? Why do you think that? And I would talk about why I disagree because what I see in the scripture. Many conversations that we had in, during this walk, she looked at me one day and she goes, hey, do you believe in Kabbalah? I said, Kabbalah? Up to this point, I have never heard of Kabbalah. I knew nothing of it. And then she began to explain to me that this was one of the, if not the oldest religion belief in the Eastern. Uh, it's what Madonna believes. You know? And she was telling me all these things. I was like, huh, this is interesting. Because up until this point, we always talked about A or B, my Christian faith or her Muslim faith. This is the first time that she's introducing C. As if to say, maybe you don't have it right, maybe I don't have it right. Maybe there's something older, maybe something that we're missing here. It, it, it caught me by surprise as if she was acknowledging, maybe I'm missing something, you and I are both missing something. I tell you the story, but that pattern, I've experienced it many times over with other people, where people would come with their own different beliefs, the C's and the D's and E's and the F's, right? The religious thought interpretations that they would make up what they thought was God. You guys, I don't want to confuse you. You guys know what I'm talking about? There are many different interpretations of even the gospel, belief system, what people think about God, and it may not be A or B. People are coming up with their own creation of their own God made in their image, not scripture. In those kind of conversations, Unless you know the scripture, unless you know the gospel and who Jesus Christ is, your faith could be tested. You could wane. You could be influenced in some way to believe, hmm, maybe I've been believing B, but maybe there's a C or a D. You guys understand that? Unless you are firmly founded in your scripture, in faith, in Jesus and knowing what the true gospel looks like, it's very easily, uh, it could influence us to believe something else. Uh, beginning this Sunday, the Resting Place Church, all campuses, we're going to study and look into the book of Galatians. More specifically, it's the, the letter to the church in Galatia. The book of Galatians. Because we believe that we have to look at the scriptures, all of the scriptures, not just part of it, snapshots of it, taking verses out. We have to know the full Bible. And this is our attempt to look at, 
at least the book as a whole. And if you don't know, uh, Galatians is sort of like the mini book of Romans. It is a theology book, but it's written in a letter from Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. And our purpose is very clear. We want you to be firmly grounded in Jesus Christ, who is our God, and what the true gospel looks like. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians 1. Galatians 1. You know, in our series, you will recognize that we will try to teach the whole book, but we will not go verse by verse, and there will be portions that we may not have the time to go over all things. But what I will attempt to do is look at the big idea of what's in that portion or that chapter and to bring to you what God needs to speak to us in this season, okay? Galatians 1, starting at verse 1. I have the ESV version for you. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who, have, who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or any an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Let's stop right there. Do you guys hear the tone change? I don't know if you've read through some of Paul's letters to the churches. Like, what's the book of Ephesians, right? The letter to the Ephesians church. The, he loved the Ephesians church. He said, oh, grace and peace to you. Greetings. We send our greetings to you. Blessings, blessings. We, every time I think of you, I am so thankful for you. That's how Paul often relates to the letter. There is the greeting. There's the formality. I, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, who, who he is to whom he is writing, to the churches in Galatia or Ephesus. And then he talks about thanksgiving. That's his style. You notice there are things that he left out in the letter. He goes from greetings, peace to you, and then I am amazed. There is a shift that he gets to the core of the letter and the purpose of his writing immediately after that greeting. He doesn't waste time. And I want you to notice that he doesn't fluff up to, like the Ephesians. Well, not that they were needing fluffing up, but there was a lot that he was grateful of, of the church in Ephesus. I'm so thankful for you always, of your generosity, your giving, all that. The purpose of the letter to the Galatian church was that there was a problem. And Paul was addressing that problem head on. Let me give you a little backdrop to why Paul feels this way. If you read through the book of Acts, you see how the early church began. From the time of 
Acts chapter 2, when the Pentecost came, so about 50 days after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came upon the, uh, the church, the believers, and everything sh got shooken up. The Holy Spirit came, people speaking in different tongues. There was this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, gives tongues like miracles. It wasn't just Jesus doing the miracles, it was him empowering, and it was the fulfillment of Jesus' promise that you will do more than these to the disciples. And the the disciples who became the apostles lived out, and the church was birthed. Then there was a great persecution that took place. That persecution pushed out the, the Christians from Jerusalem to the other cities, to the other um, countries. Paul, who used to persecute the Christians, Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, who was zealous, he was so passionate that the Christians got it wrong, and he was out there killing them. Really, they were stoning them, and he was leading the pack, saying, they're wrong, we're going to destroy them all. That was Paul. Until the Holy Spirit came, until he became blinded physically, and then he got awakened. God, Jesus, spoke to him personally, encountered him in a personal way, called him to minister to the Gentiles. And we see that he was going from city to city, ministering and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Like, the very reason that he used to persecute and kill the Christians, now he became the forerunner of the missionary planning churches, spreading the gospel that this is the truth. I mean, how much of a 180 degree can you do? Go from killing the Christians to saying, you need to believe in Jesus because this is the truth. I give my life to this. God called me. God spoke to me. I know, I know, I know. That was his personal conviction. So around 48 A.D., uh, when you look at uh, Acts chapter 16 and 18, this is where Apostle Paul had planted the churches in Galatia. I want you to know that. He was a pivotal role as a missionary going to these cities in, in, around the region of uh, modern-day Turkey in Galatia at that time, and he spread the gospel. He made new early converts, discipled them, and then left. Came back, discipled them some more, and then he transitioned to other cities. He loved the church. Imagine a missionary or a church planter establishing a ministry because it's the heart of God. And if you have ever done ministry and gone missions, the Lord gives you supernatural love for the people. You can't do it just out of religious duty. You do it out of, God, give me the heart for your people. And he gives you his love. And you go and you minister. And you're raising them up as a kid, as, as a parent. Like, I want you to grow. I want you to receive the full blessings that God has come to give you. This is the full gospel. And, and what the Lord has planned for you is far more and better than you even expect. That, that's the gospel. So he set them free from their sin and the captives through the gospel. He's excited. He leaves. And immediately long after Paul had left, he hears reports that in the region of Galatia, these Judaizers, these uh, religious Jews, Christians, were influencing the Galatian church that he just planted, that you need to be circumcised, you need to do the religious things. So it's one thing if you're a born Jew because there's a bloodline and your identity is a people of God because of Abraham and your, his descendants. But there's another when you're a Gentile, non-Jew, and that you became a believer. And there used to be, if you're a Gentile and you believed in the, the Yahweh God, there were ways that you could become attached to that faith. And one was circumcision. You adhere to the, the religious acts and the law, right? And these Judaizers were coming and says, you know, Apostle Paul, he wasn't really an apostle. He's doing things because he just 
you know, he likes to make his name big. You know, he, he's a mega church pastor that you really can't believe. No, he, he really has no authority. He's just man's man. And, and what he taught you is all incorrect. In fact, if you, Gentile, really want to attach yourself to, to Jesus Christ, yes, he is the Messiah, but you still have to fulfill the law. You still have to get yourself circumcised. You can't eat pork. I mean, it was like they were saying things that was anti-man. How many of you guys know circumcision is painful, but not eating baby back ribs, that's even more painful. I don't want to, you know. It, it, so these Judaizers came and was trying to say it's the gospel plus. It's the gospel, and you got to do these little extras to really believe. And Paul hears this. And I, maybe you can hear it from the tone of the, the letter. He was hurt. He was angry. Maybe even broken, disappointed. Because he loved the church. He came to set them free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what did they do? They were going backwards to religion. They were going backwards to a, a lie, to believe in something that, Jesus did not come to bring. In fact, what these Judaizers were trying to do was bring a hybrid religion. It was a cross between Old Testament Jewish ways and New Testament Jesus Christ ways. You guys understand that? Sometimes when you come from one particular culture, it's really hard to let go fully to go to the new. There's a whole other teaching about New wine in new wineskin versus old. It's about your capacity, your container to think. You have to let go of the old ways to receive the new. Okay? Judaizers, Old Testament Jews, had a hard time grasping. And I tell you, it's not just the Jews who does this. This is all cultures. And I can give you so many examples, including our Christmas. You know Christmas trees and ornaments? That's not Jesus. If you do this, your own study and you recognize there's some pagan holidays that has been mixed in there. It's the hybrid Christmas celebration. Easter, we talked about this earlier today. Easter it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. They have adopted that word to be about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if you look up Easter, the root of that word Easter and the Easter bunny and the, the, the eggs is about the spring and the fertility. It has nothing to do with Jesus so this is why in our church we talk about Resurrection Sunday as opposed to Easter because that's a little bit more accurate as opposed to a pagan word that, we, that the culture has adopted. In our, um, my Korean heritage background, I tell you, a lot of Asian cultures do ancestral worship. Uh, Confucianism, Taoism, there was a lot of isms within that culture. And ancestral worship was hundreds if not thousands of years, the way they honored their people. So imagine every year if somebody had passed away, grandparents passed away, to honor them, they would set up a small table with a lot of nice, beautiful food, picture as a memorial, and they would bow down to honor them. That was the culture. That was the way. In the last 100 years, as uh, Christian faith has increased in our country, in Korea, 
these Christians are recognizing, wait a minute, <laughs> we're Christian. We can't do that. This is, you know, anti-biblical. So what do they do? Hybrid. They would set up a memorial picture, not food or alcohol like they would give <laughs> in the old ways. But on that day, they would set up a worship, maybe even invite the pastor. They would have a small word, sing hymns, and worship on that day to, to celebrate, to honor their ancestor, but not worship, but to honor God. You guys understand that? That's a hybrid example in a positive light. But when the hybrid happens where it contaminates the purity of faith, it brings a compromise that says it's neither the old or the new. It's something in between. And if it's something in between, it's not the new. It's none of the above. It's something else. And that's what these Judaizers had introduced. The trap was, it looks so religious. It looks so logical. You guys understand? Religion looks like it should be holy. It should be meticulous, traditional. It should be predictable. You do good, so you receive good. It makes logical sense. The gospel says you do bad, but you just ask for forgiveness, and he gives it to you. That makes no sense. The gospel doesn't make logical sense. If you really think about it, this free gift, it is by grace that you have been, uh, been saved, not by works, so no one can boast. It, that makes no sense. And so Jews teaching this hybrid to keeping their heritage, their law, while believing and saying they're believers and followers of Jesus Christ, it made a lot of sense. Still, it was a hybrid. It was unpure and did not honor what the gospel truly was. The problem was that this hybrid contradicted the gospel and God's word it was a man's attempt at righteousness. It reminds me, I had a friend who, when I used to try to evangelize to him and, and share my faith about you know, Christian faith, he would say, oh, I believe. I believe in them all. <laughs> you know, Buddhism and, you know, all of it. Oh, gosh, he was probably, I'm not going to say anything negative. But he believed it all. And he was his logic. It was like an insurance policy. Just in case I'm wrong, because I don't know if one is right or the, versus another. He says, I believe them all. Because when I die, I'm going to say, I believed you. I said, I believe them all. That's polytheism, not one God, one Jesus Christ, one Savior. You see, man's attempt to gain access in, in their own way is man's foolishness. You can't outwit God. You can't trick God. You can't. Man's ways are foolishness in comparison to God's ways. And there is no greater gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel means the good news. Literally translated, it means the good news. 
And the good news of Jesus Christ is that God is the Son of Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was without sin and he went on that cross to become our sins. It's like the perfect being without sin, without any blemish, not even the original sin that you're born into from the DNA, right? You're just, he was without sin altogether. But he says, I will take your sin. And he went on that cross and said, whatever you have done, past, present, future, I will take upon it, and I will bear your consequences, your punishment that you deserve that was coming your way, I will take on it. And all you have to do is believe that I have been a substitutionary atonement. That's to say, whatever you did, I take as a substitution to atone for your sins, to pay for your sins. In the ancient time, that was common. There were people who, like a mother, saying, let me take the punishment of my son. I will pay that debt. That was acceptable in the court of law. And Jesus says, I will take your sins, your punishment that you deserved, I will pay for it on that cross. That's the gospel. And all you have to do is believe. It sounds so simple. Uh, Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. Ephesians 2.8 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The means of salvation is that grace is it's a gift that you don't deserve. I don't know about you. I have a hard time receiving a gift from people, even on Christmas or birthday. I, it's easier for me to resist the gift. It's easier for me to say, oh, no, you didn't have to do that. Please don't. No, really, sometimes I have a hard time receiving a gift. And, and certainly a gift that I don't deserve. Certainly somebody dying for my sins, dying for me. Oh, that's really hard to accept. But you have to believe. It is a gift that you have not worked for, that you don't deserve, but you say, I want it, I receive it. And all you have to do is ask for it. Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he did that for you. There is no greater news. Because we are, if we confess honestly, we are undeserving. It, it's too good that we don't have to work for it. The gospel came and he set us free from the bondage of our sin, from our past, from our identity, from our brokenness. He came to bring shalom, and that is the whole restoration, the blessings, including uh, financial. Like, there is so much to this promise. Like, God says, I want to give it to you. <laughs> Just freely. It doesn't make sense. Don't I have to work hard for it? Don't I have to, like, be faithful to the church? Do I have to give it? All of that. And yet, the church in Galatia says, we were set free, but I want to go back to the old ways, the hybrid model or the Old Testament model. Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the law so you didn't have to, and then you're like, well, I want to fulfill the law. Makes no sense. And here is the Apostle Paul who 
who came, who saw the deliverance, who saw the freedom happen for his people, and then they're going back. It makes no sense. He's so angry. He's so hurt because he loved them. I mean, I want you to know that his heart for them is not because of his anger, like, I hate you for rejecting me. No, it's like, are you kidding me? What you had in the gospel, you're going back. You're going backwards. Why? Why would you choose a knockoff rather than the original, the superior? This is funny. Years ago, uh, first time I visiting back Korea, it was a kind of, anyways, I had visited Korea for a very short time with some friends. And we had heard about, and this was in 2000, we had heard about these knockoffs. You know, you can go to Chinatown in New York, and there was a time that you could buy a Rolex for like $20, and, but you knew it was a fake. You know, it was just like, ah, oh, look at you, I got a Rolex, it's like 20 bucks. All right, nobody really bragged about that. But in around 2000, we had heard about these knockoffs that were so good, you couldn't tell, the pros could not tell. And, and so my friends and I, we, we heard about this. It's like, it would be fun to, you know, go and check it out. Well, you couldn't just go to the streets like New York and find these knockoffs. You had to be introduced by people, you know, who were kind of shady, who, who knew the streets or had, you know, if they, obviously you look like a tourist, you ask some people and they were, and, and that's what we did. This is, in hindsight, this was such foolishness on our part. But we did it. We were young. We were stupid. Yeah, guys do that thing sometimes. We asked around. The guy's like, what are you looking for? And kind of asked us questions to make sure that we're not cops. We're like, we're total bananas. We're like yellow and American tourists in Korea. So he took us. We went back to this back alley in the shady part of town, right? And we're going, oh, my gosh, where are we going? And my friends were pretty yuppie corporate friends. We're going, okay, but we're, we're, we're in group. And we climb up the third story, and we're talking a steel door, and he had a secret knock. Boom, 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 boom. And then the window opens, the guy peeked, and then he allowed us in. We go in, and it's a really small room, like this stage area, and there were the Louis Vuitton, the Prada, bags, purses, wallets, all these things. And the quality was really nice stuff. And my friend, who's used to shopping these nice stuff, was like, coach me. Do you know how you can tell the real versus the fake? And he would take one and would show the difference in the zipper. It's like the fakes, you can, you, if you peel, the plating will come off. He goes, this one's solid. Then he goes, uh, the material, like the Louis Vuitton, where they cut um, the material, like the fakes, they will cut anywhere. But the real ones, they knew exactly where to cut in the material to honor the branding and the seams inside the lining. Like he knew the details of the original to recognize the fake. And he goes, dang, these are good, right? These, this look like real. It would fool retail stores. And then my friend asked, hey, do you have any watches? The guy said, yeah, what do you want? And, and they had a conversation. Next thing you know, he goes over and he peels off a carpet. And next thing you know, this, a tray underneath the floorboard pops out, like secret compartment room. Like, do you have any more? And then he pulled out like, from the shelf, like special screw. And then the, 
the bookshelf like slid back, backward. There's a whole other room. We're going, dang, this is secret agent stuff, right? All of that. And we're talking watches that had like real crystal display, self-winding mechanism, heavy with like smooth uh, second hand. Not tick, 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 but smooth, like the real stuff. And these knockoffs were even like three, five hundred dollars. You couldn't tell. But at the end of the day, these knockoffs were still a knockoff. On its best day, no matter how good it looked and fooled anyone, it was still a knockoff. It wasn't the real thing. The question is, would you rather have the real thing or the knockoff, no matter how good it may fool people? A good knockoff is still a fake. It's still a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. And it wasn't made by the original maker. That it carries the label. If we Christians carry the name of Christ that we say we follow, it better be the original. If we say we follow Jesus Christ and bear his name and we are his image bearers, made in his image, in his likeness, we better be the original, not a knockoff. I don't know who you follow, but look, you know, I don't care how I look. I don't follow the Chinese ways, you know, just saying. I'm just kidding. That was a bad joke. I can do that, but it's all right. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that was bad. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> the, the one Chinese in the room. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> the Judaizers offered a counterfeit gospel, which was no gospel at all. It was not even a com close comparison. Because the true gospel sets people free from their sins, from their ways, from their formal identity into the new. Behold, the old has gone, new has come. You are a brand new creation in Christ Jesus Christ. Right? There is so much to the, what the new gospel, what the gospel offers to the people of God. And to say you're going back to the old, it's foolishness. And a knockoff is still a fake. Jesus Christ is one God. He brought the one gospel who was the one mediator who came and fulfilled the requirements of the law so we don't have to. Let me say brief teaching about the law, right? And I'm sure you have heard it said, Jesus came, fulfilled the law so we don't have to, right? I want you to know in the Old Testament, there were three different kinds of law. There was a ceremonial law, judicial law, and moral law. Whew, almost slipped there. Okay, judicial law was, a was the governing civil law of Israel. You, live, you leave Israel, and you are under the law of wherever geographic location you're in. For us, it's the Constitution. That's our civil law. You guys understand? So... Judicial law of Israel does, is not relevant for us. Ceremonial law. Ceremonial law in a 
simplified way is anything related with temple. Inside the temple, the priest, the worship, the sacrifices, anything that is carried inside the temple is a ceremonial law. When Jesus Christ died on that cross, he fulfilled the ceremonial law, the requirements of the sins, that if you had sinned, you make a sacrifice, you atone, scapegoat, lamb, all of those things are related with a ceremonial law. You guys with me? The third law is a moral law. The moral law, and we can say the Ten Commandments, is part of that moral law. It's the morality of God. One God. No idols. Honor God's name. Well, I'm telling you the, the Ten Commandments here. Honor your father and mother. Honor the Sabbath day. The first five. Tell me anywhere in the scripture where you say you don't have to honor God's name. You can blaspheme his name. Tell me anywhere from that where that has been depleted and you're exempt from it. Tell me anywhere in the Bible that says you can kill people now. That's not murder. Now Jesus fulfilled it. Now you're allowed to murder. Tell me where. You guys with me so far? Just because Jesus died on the cross and fulfilled the ceremonial law does not mean he depleted and said the Old Testament is completely obsolete. Nowhere. We still honor God's name. You're not supposed to say GD and all the curse words. It bothers me because it doesn't honor who he is. It's like, whew, let me take a step back if you say that word. Yeah, that's how I feel because I have reverence for God. Making idols. Yeah, we might feel like killing somebody, but you're not allowed to just because Jesus fulfilled the law doesn't mean you're allowed to kill people. Again, Jesus came to fulfill the law It's a ceremonial law, which means even if you screw up and make a mess of the moral law, Jesus has made a way so that you don't have to find the priest, you don't have to make a sacrifice because he has fulfilled it. You don't have to atone for the sins of your future sins. You guys understand? There is a way, there's a forgiveness. You just have to repent, ask for forgiveness, and turn from your ways. But you don't have to make another sacrificial lamb. That's the completions of the law. So, Apostle Paul, who's a pastor for the Galatian church, wrote this letter, and we're going to look at the gospel, we're going to look at the theology a little bit deeper in the coming weeks, and hopefully, you know, it doesn't sound academic. I try to teach thoroughly without being too academic. But I want you to know that he came with a heart that cares. And we just covered the introduction. And in our other sermons, we talked about who he is. He was an apostle called by God, Jesus Christ himself, and was not his own doing. And he made a whole argument about that. It was like, killing me? I used to kill Christians. If God didn't intervene and call me, I would not be leading people to God. So it's not a man's attempt. And, I, and what he was arguing is all of this that I say to you is not man's attempt at theology and argument to find A, B, C, which is the right. It's about the one truth that sets you free. And this whole book is about liberations to set you free. So why would you go back? And he's going to take you in a logical journey in his letter to the church and say, it's foolishness to go back. You don't have to. But what you have in the gospel is this freedom in Jesus Christ that is far better, greater than you can ever imagine. 
And when you say amen to him, when you say amen to the gospel and the truth, you will never go back because there is no comparison. There is no hybrid that even looks even compared to uh, like a competing if you know and if you know the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.